You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew. And today, I'm excited to talk to Aaron George about revamping go-to-market. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. appreciate it. Super. Aaron, well, before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are, please? Yeah, absolutely. I've been in the technology sales and go-to-market space for probably the last 15 years. Started out at some, you know, some very large companies. I've I've worked at places like Dell and Salesforce and, you know, have gone from the ranks of kind of being an inside salesperson all the way up to, you know, selling some of the largest deals in history at some very large companies and then moving into sales leadership and running some national and international sales teams across you know a variety of business segments and, and things like that. So yeah, very excited to be here today. Super, super. All right, so the topic that you wanted to talk about is revamping go-to-market. And nobody on this podcast has actually talked about revamping a go-to-market. Everybody's talked about, well, how do you build one? How do you build something that's like horizontal? How do you build vertical go-to-markets, right? How do you do mm-hmm. build, build go-to-market motions with like strategic partners? Like we've had that all, right? But yep. what do you mean by revamping go to market? Yeah, so it's amazing how you know industries are always changing, right? And you always have new competitors who are coming into the market space. And you, you know, anytime that you you're dealing with highly competitive spaces in particular, you know, you're going to have disruptors in that space, right? And so disruptors they sort of feed on the larger or more established companies' kind of either inability to adjust to what they're doing or just the kind of a lack of desire to do so. It's like, hey, we've been doing it this way for 20 years and we're the leader in the space and we don't need to do it this way. And then all of a sudden their industry is completely overturned in in a very short amount of time and they didn't react, right? And so now they're behind the eight ball and they you know, they start doing things that they needed to do a year ago or two years ago. They start doing it, but now they're they're working from behind. So uh, that that's kind of the the reason for adjusting go to market and, and continually looking to do so because the markets are always changing. You know, I've, I've said this multiple times. The Valley worships, like literally worships product leaders and anybody who can create something and mm-hmm. and anybody who is like an engineer and, you know, like people that can create products, right? I feel like people need to pay a similar amount of attention to go-to-market leaders because mm-hmm. we are now like completely readjusting to everything that's been thrown at us, right? And yep. there's an equal amount of innovation in the go-to-market also taking place than it's building the product. And so right. it's just, to me, it's just, I feel like it's unfair and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vent for a little <laughs> bit, but like like the go-to-market leaders need to be celebrated the same way, especially the, the successful ones because they have to deal with like sales, marketing, customer success and biz dev issues. And it's mm-hmm. very tough. It's like, it's equally or maybe more tougher than than the, the product piece. So I'll, I'll pause there to get some 
reaction from you on that statement? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think it's 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 really kind of amazing. There's there's two predominant cultures when you look at a company. You're either going to have a leader and a, and a company culture that's that's sort of sales and marketing centric, or you're going to have a company culture that's more of an engineering and product centric, right? And so if you get engineering and product centric companies that all they care about, they you know they've got more data scientists than they do salespeople and that kind of thing. Then there's a, a tension right between go to market and it's like we you know we want to go build the stuff we think is cool and and the go to market teams are saying well yeah but this is what the customers are saying they want right and there's yep. a sort of tension that goes back yep. and forth and the ones who are listening are the ones that that end up winning yep no, totally and so my definition of go to market is really sales marketing customer success and biz dev because i view the go to market mm -hmm. lanes that way right We'd yep. love to get your definition of go-to-market because the word go-to-market can be confusing for people. So I always like to start with like the definitions of the concepts that we're going to talk about. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, go-to-market is more encompassing than just sales team or they're more encompassing than just a marketing team. One of the things that I find that's super fascinating with go to market is is if you if you look especially across larger companies or companies that are growing really fast is how quickly the the different teams under the go to market umbrella silo against each other and they don't really talk to each other and all of a sudden you have these very disjointed kind of things that are going on and then even beyond that if you look at the product versus sales and marketing, sometimes those groups get disjointed and siloed as well. So you have, sometimes you'll have product building something over here that they want to go build. Sales is asking for one thing. Marketing is running something that's completely different and not, not at all what sales wants to go do. Right. And so, and then you start wasting a bunch of energy and money doing things that are not specifically directed right to, to where you need to be. Yep. And so the key here now is, it's hard enough to build a go-to-market, right? Mm -hmm. And before we talk about like the pieces that take place in revamping a go-to-market, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the emotional journey the leaders have to go through when thinking about revamping, because it's super hard to like get all the people, the processes, the technologies, the system, like all, all of this stuff has to be in place, right? right. And now you're like, wait a sec, guys, we are getting eaten up in the SMB because mm -hmm. we ignored that channel or we did not do product-led growth or you know, we did not do something to your point and then we're getting disrupted in the go-to-market. The product's great. It's just not packaged and being sold in a different way that yeah. today's customers wanted, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the emotional journey because this podcast is for leaders, right? This is from leaders to other leaders, right? And so right. there's a bunch of VPs of go-to-market, whether they're in sales, marketing, customer success, or biz dev out there listening to this, but they don't realize that there's the business reason to do this, but there's an emotional tax they have to pay too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's amazing when you start broaching the subject of changing well-established processes and patterns. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. You're you're going to have to spend political capital. You're going to have to go up. Sometimes you you have to call the baby ugly, and that that never works out well for for people that might be their baby, right? So, it's a Something that you have to sort of bring data to the equation and you also have to bring a different point of view. And, and one of the things that I always like to do when it comes to sort of broaching this topic is to ask this very simple question, right? So if you look at yourself and the trajectory of your company, and then you look at the trajectory of your competitors and you say, all right, well, if we do nothing and they do nothing based on where we are and where they are in 12 to 24 months, who will have grown more? Right. And if the answer is the competitor, 
then that's a good indication that, hey, we might need to tweak some things, right? Maybe there's some things that we can do with our messaging. Maybe it's some things we can do with our packaging. Maybe it's product related that we need to relate to the product team that then we sort of revamp and repackage into our, you know, into a new direction or message that we need to go. So there's, there's a lot to it, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that I start, right? When you, when you sort of look, and I'm always looking 12 to 24 months over the horizon and sort of asking myself questions like that. Perfect. Talk to us about the steps now that you have taken or you have seen other people take, like what, I guess, mechanically has to happen when you think about revamping a go-to-market? Yeah. So mechanically, you kind of start with the results of what's happening right now and you and you start to work backwards, right? So for example, I was in a space, you know, when I worked with Salesforce, where I kind of walked into a product group that was a product that was a little bit neglected. I, I think it didn't get as much investment as some of the other products in the portfolio. And so we were falling behind kind of in the market. And so what I did is I, you know, when I went out and I started to kind of hit the streets and, and try to go sell this thing, I, I realized very quickly that the features and the functions and things like that were not really keeping pace with maybe some of the other competitors that were out there. And so really it kind of caused this, this really interesting journey for me because I started to, to really kind of fundamentally dial in to some very specific things that I think really kind of revolutionized the way that we went and sold that product. One of the questions that I kind of asked myself is like, hey, okay, we've got this thing. It does some really cool stuff, but there's a lot of competitors in the market that do that plus more. So then what is the unique and competitive differentiator that we have as it pertains to either our specific product, or maybe it, it sits within a broader portfolio of products like at Salesforce, where they got a bunch of stuff to go sell. And the conclusion that I came to was, hey, gosh, there's really not a lot here that we do, you know, that other people don't do, except for this one thing. There's this one little widget that we have that nobody else has. It's proprietary. Nobody else can do it, regardless of how much they try. So what I did, our marketing messaging and everything that had kind of gone into that really hadn't maximized that conversation. And so what I did is I sort of ripped up the playbook entirely of kind of how we were going to market, all the marketing messaging that had been created and all that stuff. And I just completely did away with it. And I rebuilt from scratch this conversation on the back of this one little widget that we had, right? And I started developing out use cases and other things. And so what ended up happening was it was a a territory and a various parts of the company where they said this this product isn't a good fit, you know, 90% incompatible with a lot of the customers, et cetera, et cetera. And when we revamped and, and sort of reoriented our conversation towards this particular little widget that we had, all of the sudden we started selling, you know, not only a ton, but we started selling bigger deals than we had ever sold before. And so what we ended up doing, it, it, it actually ended up completely rewriting the corporate playbook on how, how they sold and viewed that product. And it sort of morphed itself into such a successful sales motion that, you know, over the course of the next three to five years, it made up 70 to 80% of the revenue of that product in, in new sales. And so, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have completely broken down all of the components of the sales cycle and and everything and then and then just sort of rebuilt it from the ground up. And obviously it wasn't just me. I had a lot of help here, but that was sort of the genesis of where it came from. Got it. It's interesting because 
what I've seen happen, right? A lot of my experiences in startups, right? But I've worked and I've partnered with larger companies. It's not that startups don't get disrupted. Even mm-hmm. startups get disrupted because when you're in a startup, the only thing that you have is execution, right? And so mm-hmm. if you don't have a system where you're going to read the data points that the market is telling you and you focus holistically on execution, mm-hmm. you're going to miss out on data points and get disrupted while you're trying to disrupt somebody else, especially <laughs> in a highly competitive environment, right? Like, I yes. don't know if people think about this this piece because, and then they're like, oh, our execution failed. No, actually your execution didn't fail. You didn't pay attention to the mm-hmm. other data points because you were so focused on just radically executing and mm-hmm. grinding through this thing, right? Yep. Oh yeah, and I, I was just gonna point out, you know, it's it's so important to understand why you're losing. Everybody celebrates when you win, but, yes. but so oftentimes you lose deals and everybody's like, ah, oh, it's a bummer, man. Okay, cool. Well, let's go get another one. Right. And they don't yep. really they don't really ask a lot of questions about why did we lose? Like, yep. was there a particular product in the market that's causing a problem because it's addressing a use case we don't address? Or, you know, maybe they've got a different way of packaging. You know, there, there's there's one in particular example I can give where, you know, there was a, an instance where we had way better technology than one of our competitors, but our competitors had a way better story and they had wrapped an inferior technology in this combination of services and and messaging Mm -hmm. and this whole ecosystem. And they had sort of masked the technology deficiencies with all this other stuff. And they were just whooping us right out in the market. And it was really frustrating because you're like, we're better than them. Why isn't this working? Right? So we had to sort of adjust. Yes. hundred percent. And Packaging disruption can be the most infuriating, maybe the right word, or, or, or disappointing, <laughs> or, you know, you're like, we have everything. The whole thing is working. It's fantastic, right? But we messed up on, like, how do we put it together? Like, literally, yes. that's where that's where we messed up, right? And mm-hmm. and I've gone through this multiple times, too. Like, and it's a muscle. You really have to develop this muscle. And I keep bringing this point up because for the people that are listening to this podcast, you have to develop this go-to-market muscle, right? It's like mm-hmm. you have to be in the situations. You have to know how it feels like and how do you pull yourself back up from it. And especially for leaders, you have a whole go-to-market organization to pull out of the situation, right? It's not just mm-hmm. yourself. And so there is, like I was saying, an emotional journey to all of this stuff. And so you have to be very even keel in understanding where you're at and where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. And I know like the execs should be pros at that stuff already, but you know, not understanding that you are getting package disruption or packaging disruption can be problematic. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So now we basically said, okay, so there could be messaging. You could get, there's the offer, there's the packaging, right? Now think about this way, right? Like how does an exec Say the organization is not realizing this and there's one exec, let's call him the CRO or the CEO, or anybody could actually do it, right? Like mm-hmm. all the execs are there aligned to to focus on the uh, the corporate growth. But if you're an exec that like has realized that the go-to-market needs to be revamped, mm-hmm. now, how do you communicate and get everybody else on the same page? Because you're going to be facing lots of pushback, to your point, by the people that are like, we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. We already have these systems in place, like this resistance to change, and you're you're now the change agent. And if you're not careful, you're going to get vilified for it. Well, you're going to get vilified for like just bringing up the topic. But like to get this transformation done, you're going to have to like carry the weight of your own team, the company, like everything, right? So, mm-hmm. how does one prepare? Or like, let's take it for you for you as an example. Like when you were in the situation, like how did you get the organization behind you? Yeah, I think a couple things. The the first thing I think that's really important, you know, for any leader to do if you if you're not doing this already is you you have to 
you have to consistently speak to customers directly. Yep. And there's there's so many instances where you see executives who they sort of lock themselves away and isolate themselves, you know, through various layers of management. They're getting third and fourth hand information about what people think they've happened. And then all of a sudden they've they've added some spin to it. And by the time it gets to you, it's sort of like a game of telephone where it's like you kind of have the story, but you don't really you don't really fully grasp what's going on. So it's very important to kind of get down onto the level of the customer and make sure that you're you're hearing this from customers directly and you've got specific examples of this is a customer that it was a very large deal that we could have closed if we had just done this, this, or this. And we've got now all of a sudden I'm noticing a laundry list of five of these customers or 10 of these customers. And this represents a trend, right? And so that's, that's one thing I would say is, is, you know, it's super important to do that. But then, you know, the other thing too, is, you know, when you're able to start gathering some data, the data that you're gathering can come from a variety of places, right? You can get it from your customer service teams. You can get it from your sales teams. You can get it from, from all these places. And I think it's really important that you actually, you don't just use one channel to gather data. If you have a hypothesis about what needs to happen, then maybe you go and validate, like maybe sales is saying one thing, but maybe you go to support and say, hey, sales is saying they need this issue. Are we having customer churn because we don't have this thing? Right. If you can then start to piece together a story that, that spans across a variety of departments, then, then all of a sudden now you've got something that's actionable and you can start to sort of craft a new direction based on all of the feedback that you're getting. And then you kind of build it out from there. Super. Let's talk about the time that it takes, right? Yeah. Because once this decision is made and you are the change agent, right? Now, at least in my opinion, you're like target number one, right? Like, hey, when is this going to be done? How quickly can right. we do this? Like, where is this at? Like, I don't see any deals coming through. Like, what happened, right? So mm -hmm. right after the moment of internalization comes the moment of like anxiousness of like, when are we going to get this thing? When is this going to be over, right? And then we are, we are hitting a run rate. And so thoughts or guidance or advice on just pacifying people's need to for speed <laughs> yeah, I think it starts with a very honest roadmap of what it looks like, right? So so there are things that can be done sooner rather than later. And everybody sort of starts typically with the lowest hanging fruit and the things that they can do quickest and, and yep. make the biggest impact, right? Everybody starts there. But if you can sort of develop the vision of like, okay, well, that, you know, we start there, but that's not the whole thing, right? So here's the things that need to happen. Here's the timeframes we think we can execute this in based on, you know, the variety of factors. Maybe you've got to do product stuff. Maybe you've got to revamp, you know, messaging or you got to go do more market research or something like that that might take some time to sort of put together and assimilate. And based on your, your individual capabilities, if you can create a roadmap that says, all right, you know, within the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to reorient ourselves toward, you know, this use case, or we're going to reorient ourselves toward this market. And we're going to, we're going to make incremental improvements in this area doing X, Y, Z with the product. Then we're going to, we're going to also, while that's happening, we need to, we need to sort of flush out the, the new marketing messaging with, with market research, et cetera, et cetera. And you start, you sort of start to break it down and segment it out that way. And if you, and you provide yourself with guideposts, right. Of like, yep. you know, we think we can do this, this set of things that need to happen in the next six months, then the next 12 months, we can do this, this, and this by, by 18 months, we should be here. And so that way you can point to the roadmap when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, why, why isn't this happening faster? You can then say, well, we said it was going to take 18 months. Here's where we are. 
here's where we said we were going to be. We're on track. So, or maybe we're ahead of the game, right? But if you if you fall behind even your projected roadmap, then that that's also a good forcing function for you of like, hey, are, are we not going fast enough? Are we not doing enough here? Or did we just underestimate the work here that was going to have to happen? But but either way, while those incremental changes are happening, again, it, everybody has numbers to hit. Everybody has you know sales to hit. So you, as you're transitioning and as you're sort of doing some of the things that that are disruptive even to your own business it's important that you you kind of test very subtly in your current go to market you know you you sort of validate all along the way like hey we've got this this new tweak to messaging we want to make maybe somebody can go out and and test it out a couple times with the customer and see what they say right to see what the feedback is does it work does it not and you can kind of do you can kind of do that incremental testing that ab testing almost as you kind of work towards this larger goal and continually kind of validate with the market that what you're doing is right super I'm so glad you said that because the visual I would like to paint for the listeners is you have a plane and you have to build and fly a smaller plane while you're flying the bigger plane, right? And so (laughs) other stuff cannot stop. But also, you cannot eat this whole cookie in one bite. You have to costly test it at rate because your hypothesis is going to get challenged all the time. And so so even if like, I know there's a lot of leaders, they don't like to get into tactical stuff, but I feel like the operational leader you have to be an operational leader when this is happening, right? Because there's like so many little details and data points that you're just going to miss if it's just going to stay at the 50,000 foot. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you know, one of the, the leadership teams that I really admire, and it's a, a company that I worked at for a long time at Salesforce, every leader in that organization from, from Mark Benioff all the way down, every leader in that organization is constantly talking to customers. I mean, constantly, like they're being, they're being brought in on deals. They're, you know, they're traveling, they're doing road shows. They, they are out always. And so, and I think that that's, that's a big kind of secret sauce to their sustained success is, you know, they're constantly hearing from the market. They're constantly talking to C-level executives of these other companies and they're, they're hearing the needs firsthand. And then they're basing strategy based on that. And I, I think that's such a powerful thing. And it's something that's sort of ingrained into the culture. And, and I mean, it happens with every, it's not just sales, right? I mean, we're talking product teams. We're talking customer service teams. They go on site with customers at the executive level and talk to them. And so that's, it's such a powerful thing and, and, they, and it allows them to orient themselves and, and sort of reorient themselves quickly. That's where you get... If I just use them as an example, you know, during COVID 2020, they rolled out work.com in like weeks, right? Because they just were on top of it. They just knew exactly what needed to happen because they were already out talking to customers and it was amazing to watch. Yes. Yes. No, it's super interesting. Definitely like Salesforce definitely got the plumbing of their business correct. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's, they're a field marketing company, right? Basically Mm -hmm. they're always in the field doing something with their customers like that. Right. That was kind of the the 24-7 celebration happening of the things to do. And that is the right model. But, you know, that is not the only model, right? Like it no. can be very difficult for people to be always on and operate at that scale. And you can definitely win like that. But you could also win by being an introverted company, but <laughs> being closer to your customers, right? Like if you cannot yeah. go do this like rah, rah, rah thing, then just make sure your product has enough feedback that it tells you what your customers are doing. And you have instrumentation with analytics tools that are constantly giving you feedback on 
where customers are going and what they're doing so that when a shift occurs, you at least know what triggered it and which segment of customers triggered it. And then you can respond to that. Exactly. And I I have this sort of grid that I use for for go-to-market when it comes to the types of customers. One of the parts of the grid is like warm-cold. What I mean by warm-cold is, you know, what is the sales cycle? What is the process of acquiring new customers? And, and, you know, a lot of customers or a lot of products that are out there, especially engineering-centric products that are organizations that really just want to go build great products and they don't care as much about a, a sales team is you'll find that they build almost like a frictionless C try by motion right in their in their products and and what they're doing is they're just you're talking about something like a Dropbox or yep. somebody like that who just you get this viral adoption right yep. and usage yep. that's constantly going through the organization but they're gathering feedback from customers as those customers are onboarding and as yes. long as they can do that in a in a frictionless way yep. that can be as effective and so it doesn't have to be you're not out there all day you know, every day and you don't want your, your engineer guy who, who really shouldn't be out in front of customers. That doesn't mean he needs to go talk to customers, but they need to have some way to inform what the market is saying. And so there, there's a variety of ways to do that. It's based on your model, your product, and then what the business segment is, right? Because that, that should determine your product North Star as well. Like whether you're an SMB targeted business, whether you're primarily an enterprise targeted business, is that it completely changes the way that you build products, right? And you, you have to continually validate that. Yep. No, that's, that's great. All right. So I guess let's turn to the three things that you absolutely must take care of or avoid. I'm looking for like Aaron George's like three golden rules of revamping go to market, right? Like if you got <laughs> nothing out of this podcast, you got to just keep these in mind. All right. So number one, I would say is always be looking 12 to 24 months over the horizon. I'd say that that's, that's such a critical thing that, you know, people always get kind of caught up in the now, right? I've yep. got to deliver now. I got to do things now. So you always want to kind of pick your head up and look over the horizon at what's going on. Secondly is make sure Again, the larger the business, the more departments you have and the more people that are involved, you have to make sure that you don't get siloed, right? Because if you're siloed and and you have a sales team wanting to do one thing, a marketing team wanting to do another, a product team wanting to do another, then you're going to waste so much energy and time. And if you can just get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction, you always hear that saying, I think it was, I believe it was from Patton. It's, you know, a violently executed plan today is better than a perfectly executed plan tomorrow. Right. And so as long as everybody's on the same page, then you're going to make some headway and, and you can course correct as you go. And then the third is you've got to continually validate that, that what you're saying in the market is resonating. You can't use marketing messaging from two and three years ago and nobody's touched it since and then expect that to be as effective long-term as it was two or three years ago. There's tweaks, there's, there's new technologies, there's new use cases that, that come out all the time. And you have to constantly be validating with the market and make sure that you're, you're on top of it. Great. All right, let's move to a little bit of what I call the fun part of the podcast. <laughs> but it's actually really cool because like, you really get to know people based on the answers to the next few questions, right? <laughs> okay. We always pride that this podcast is very actionable. And so we want to leave people with a resource. It could be a book, a blog, a newsletter, a website, a video Mm -hmm. that you recommend that they listen to, whether it's on this topic or something that you found extremely beneficial in your executive career, right? So Mm -hmm. what is that one resource, Aaron? 
You know, I have to say probably the most impactful book that I've ever read on this topic, and it's a bestseller and everybody's probably heard of it, but if you've never read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, it is by far, for my personal journey, it's been the most impactful one when thinking about markets and thinking about how to address things, how to get out, how to differentiate yourself and giving you an actionable process to actually go through to, to sort of evaluate where you are and, and move into new markets and move into new messaging. Super. We also ask people if they have two or three people from the industry who are in B2B tech who lead go-to-market or data science teams that you would recommend we bring onto the show. Yeah. Let me think here. So yeah, so one good person I think who's who's really solid on on this. So Christian Smith would be someone. He's he's the CRO at Splunk, who I think is is really great. Another one who kind of is just a phenomenal go-to-market strategist and and sort of leader is a lady named Mala Pachula. And she she is the global VP of marketing for Splunk as well. You know, another another guy that I think he's probably one of the best salespeople I've ever met and also just an incredible leader at Salesforce. His name is Mark Flynn. And he leads the manufacturing business at Salesforce for the manufacturing sales teams. And he's he's incredible with sort of messaging and financial topics and all kinds of cool stuff. Super, super. Well, great. Well, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you, Aaron, after this podcast? Yeah. So, you know, obviously hit me up on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to do it. You can also email me directly. I, I have stepped out into an entrepreneurial role doing partnering with businesses to sort of help them grow and scale. So my email, you can find me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at verticalprofits.com as well. Super. Great. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. I definitely learned a couple of things from, from this podcast. I hope people took this concept of revamping go-to-market pretty seriously because you have to keep your eye on it. It's not like one of those things from back in the day when you set everything up and then it just works on cruise control. Like that, That's not going to fly anymore. But thanks again and best of luck on your journey. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.